Hallelujah. We have been you know, launching into a new topic starting last week. Why is why Jesus is so awesome? And uh, what a fun topic to explore. Because <laughs> um, it's something like we know he's awesome. We've experienced his awesomeness. We, we've, you know, this morning in the praise and worship, we didn't come into that saying, oh, I've just discovered Jesus is awesome. There's a, it's just a, a living revelation in us which grows and has layer upon layer when we come in and we receive fresh revelation and then it spills out again. I, I understand that's, that's how glory works. You, you, you think you're full and then the glory floods you and you think, oh, and it feels like you've, you know, you know has ever, anyone ever felt like, oh, I don't think I was even a Christian before I got this revelation. Was it this? This is the revelation. And then God gives a fresh revelation like, oh, forget that. This is the revelation. I just, and, I, and I think that's what heaven's like. You know, when, when, when the, the angels and the, the, the four living, um, the, the living creatures that are around and, and it's this wave after wave of revelation. And God is so awesome that we don't, um, we don't get to the end of it. We just keep discovering it and discovering it and discovering it. And I want to share an aspect that I've been meditating and thinking about this week. Why Jesus is so awesome is just because of the things he's said. Things that Jesus has said are one of the, one of the aspects of his awesomeness. Last week we looked at the fact that he's here. That, that, is, um, that is truly wonderful because... There's a lot of false gods that, um, well, all other gods are false. <laughs> when I say a lot, I mean all, except for the one true God. And um, th- just look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 5, for even if there are so-called gods, do you like that? <laughs> so-called gods. Now, they give them the name God, but they're not really God. They just want to be gods. They're, people, people call them God. People might worship them. People might give them the name God, but they're, they're, just, they're not gods, whether they're in the heavens or here on earth. As indeed, there are many gods and many lords. There's, you know, there's a lot of people that worship and honor those things that are gods, but they're not truly gods. They declare, this is my Lord, but they're not true lords. Yet for us, there is one God. One God. The Father from whom all are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord. It's, it's awesome the way there is one God, but we see in the one God, the Father, the Son and the Spirit, all intertwining, without there being any sense that there's three gods in one. It's one God, and each is fully God, and each is brings their own um, uniqueness into this godness. But they one God, just working and being together. But not like um, you know. I, I, when I grew up, I was given a book. When I went to Sunday school, I, I don't know what I did, but I got a book. I, 
don't care, I got a book. <laughs> so I'm happy to have my book. And it was a little story about some children. And I read the book because I was giving it to them by Sunday, my Sunday school teacher. So it was good. And it was just a story of a couple of kids. And lo and behold, they're asking questions and they get answers about God and life as they go through this little story. I can't remember much about the story, but I do remember once when they asked about God and the, you know, this thing called the Trinity, three in one, three God Father. And they said it's like a triangle, three sides, one God. And, you know, that's pretty good for a child's book, but it's not really accurate. Sorry for anyone who sort of uses that as the... Because the difference is each side is a side, but they're only a triangle when they're together. But in reality, each, each, each part is its own triangle. But you put them together, there's not three triangles. It's, it's a little bit more... It's a bit more advanced than three sides make up one because that means three individuals form a single entity. Yeah, I can get that. I don't really understand beyond how this works, that one God, the Father is God, but Jesus, he's God, oh, but there's one God, and then there's the Spirit, he's God. It's one of those things that you can explore it, you can understand it, but you probably can't get your head fully around but don't be too concerned. Just, just take the revelation as it comes. There's for us one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ. But when, thing, when someone is declared to be Lord, you know, there is no Lord but God. So that's why by declaring there is one Lord, he's been made equal with God. And that's, why the, that's one of the reasons the Pharisees were so mad with him and, and wanted to kill him was because... They said, you make yourself out to be equal with God. You cannot say the things you are saying and not be trying to be like God. So he's one Lord, Jesus Christ. And now listen to what it says about Jesus. By whom are all things and we exist through him. That's through Jesus. Everything came into existence through him and by him. And when I was thinking about awesome words and awesome things, particularly Jesus has said. Now, it's no, some of these things are not revelations because I, think, I didn't know God. But I was thinking particularly about what Jesus himself. Why is Jesus awesome? And I came to this understanding. Um, if you look at John chapter 1. As I just began to think and meditate about this, the reality of it probably hit me. Not that, not that I didn't know it, but... I actually began to think about the reality. John chapter 1, verse 3, says, talking about Jesus, the Word, all things came into being by Him. And that's what Paul's just said in Corinthians, so it's just a repeat of that. Apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And um, verse 10. So it says, Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. So when Jesus came and received the body, was manifest, born of a virgin, lived amongst us, actually was you know, physically here. John said that's one of the great tests. You could touch him, you could feel him, or you could hear him, you could see him. He was truly here. And this is the John says, this is the creator of the universe walking amongst us. And I began to think about how the universe was created. You know, you can see this repeated in, in um, or, 
or um, spoken of again in, in Colossians chapter 1. In terms of Jesus, for by him, what, this is Colossians 1 verse 16. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers, authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things and all things, and in him all things hold together. So that's pretty awesome. That's awesome. That's why he's awesome. How did the earth and the world and the, this universe that we're in, the stars and everything get created? It was spoken. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. It says, God said, light, literally to me, light be and light was. <laughs> I like that. God said, light be and light was. God said, let there you know, be, be animals, let there be man. Um, this is not the order. You know, let, let there be trees and let there be birds and fish. Let there be a moon and sun. Let there be stars. And um, they were spoken. Who did the speaking? I think from this, Jesus did. <laughs> Jesus was saying, it, it just, when I actually packed this reality and thought of John, you know, John the Apostle writing, who walked with Jesus, talking with Jesus, and Jesus speaking to him, realizing that the same person who was speaking to him also said things that created this whole world. He who said this also said, Light be. And one of the, I think one of the most amazing verses that shows the, um, how God views things in verse uh, 14 of Genesis chapter 1 when it talks about creating the lights in the heavens, made the, said made two great lights to govern the day and, and a lesser light to gov govern the night. So this is verse 16, Genesis 1, 16, if anyone wants to read it themselves god made two great lights the greater light to govern the day so how, how did he make them he said let there be lights or luminaries light bearers let there be these light bearers and um, man would have no understanding when he stood when adam stood and he looked at the sky and i really i really find it's so sad when i look up the night sky here in melbourne and I think I see the stars, and then I go out camping, which I you know, don't do very often, but if I ever go out, you know, we're going to the Grampians, and we're staying in a, you know, when, when I say camping, my wife believes in, in camp, you know, staying under the stars. Now, if it's three stars, that's good, but four stars is better. <laughs> All right, those sorts of stars. You've always got to make sure there's enough stars all right, so, so we, we went once and we roughed it in cabins. That, when I say cabins, they had dishwashers, all right? So just get, get, give you a feel of sort of the level of... Um, 
There was no Wi-Fi. It was really hard to get Wi-Fi. You know, it was just like we were in the back blocks. Um, so, it, you know, but it was sort of roughing it. We'd wake up in the morning. This is how good it was. You'd wake up in the morning and you'd go step out and you'd have to watch out because there's actually kangaroo droppings all over your veranda because the kangaroos would just be around Cameron. So it was more rough than here. Wonderful. We used to feed them. I used to love taking bits of bread and feeding the kangaroos. I'd walk out there and just be, just stay, you just stay still and quiet and just let them come to you and eventually you could pat them and they were, you know, sort of they were friendly. And I went one night at dusk, it was getting quite dark and they, they like to come out at dusk and feed. That's a good time for the I thought I'll go feed a kangaroo. I could see something, there's one just there. So I'm over and I'm standing still and you know, he's playing hard to get, you know, the old he watches me, I watch him. But I'm, I'm not going to give up because that's what I, I wait and I wait till Christine comes. What are you doing? Trying to torch. And it's a bin. Like a. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing! <laughs> it wasn't coming. <laughs> Kangaroo's you know, a bit further over. Ha ha ha. What's the idiot standing there? But one of the beautiful things is when it got dark there. You can see the stars. And I suddenly realize, I, I always love when I do that and I look up and realize, oh, this is what it was meant to look like. Not what I see with the, in, the, in the city with all the light pollution and the, the haziness and you only see you know, such a small percentage. So imagine Adam standing there, absolutely no, no blockage to seeing those beautiful stars and yet not realizing he's just seeing the tiny portion that's visible. And that as you can look with stronger magnification and now they're sending telescopes up and sending them as satellites so they can see beyond our atmosphere and, and, just, and then they're using all sorts of different infra, you know, infrared or multi-different waves to try and capture. And they're seeing further and further and more clear. And they are saying that they're seeing, a, they're seeing billions not of stars, not billions of stars, billions of galaxies. And they're measuring just how. All that beauty, you know, the, the stars you could see plus the ones that are out there. And listen how God describes that. God said, let there be lights. And he said, let them be for lights and expanse in the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. Great light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. The stars also. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> A billion galaxies. The stars also. <laughs> just, just on this, the stars also. But I, Jesus was the one who spoke that into existence. And now he's speaking to us. Now he's on the earth saying and speaking. You see, the same ability to what is being said. Remember when uh, Mary was told, you're going to have a child, and she's like, oh, that's not possible because I'm a virgin. I, I cannot. I, it's, I cannot have a child. And... 
He says, I don't understand how this is going to happen. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the, Holy, the angel answered and said, Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Offspring shall be called the Son of God. And then in verse 37, he said, For nothing, no thing, no, no, no literally it means no rhema, no word spoken, will be impossible with God. The word nothing is... Uh, um, is uch reima. Um, uch means no, it's not, the opposite. All right? And reima, reima means to speak. So I was always really confused when I studied this verse how you could translate nothing as no spoken, no word. And it turns out it's because of the way the Greek works and the understanding of this word reima is that what was spoken would become a thing. And so it's so it's the, the word of God has so much substance. You actually speak about it as a thing, not just as a word. They actually translate it as a no object, no thing, but it was actually only a spoken thing. It wasn't something you could touch or feel. It was something that was spoken, but because God spoke it, it had the power to be the thing. So the, the literal and, um, you know, Vincent's translation of this, who's a great Greek scholar, he said, no word of God shall be void of power. In other words, nothing God speaks is without the power for it to be done. So when, the, when Mary said, how can this happen? The angel said, well, God said it would happen. And because he said it, now there's power for it to happen. He says it, so now there is ability to happen it's not be, it's not like oh we recognize that you're going to have a baby so we've said it he said no we said it now you're going to have a baby because <laughs> we said it because god said it and now i've echoed it to you and i've said what god said you're going to have a baby how does that work well because god said it and when he says something and so i just spent some time thinking about the fact that it was jesus saying light be light was and then he comes to earth and it's packaged in this just a man. And I think this is what has done people's head in at times just because it's like <laughs> how could something so frail in one sense, what is man? But, and he's become man, he's become one of us. And this is actually what probably offends some people. Um, in, in the... Uh, well, let's... Go to 1 Corinthians. This is an offensive message. 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1. So, two types of thinking Paul talks about, the, the, the way that Jews think and the way that Greeks think. Greeks tend, if we're going to relate to anybody in the Western world, we actually would relate more to the way the Greeks think. You know, the, the, we, we are Greek-minded in the way that we structure things through our mind and we philo you know, the philosophies. And so even though we, you know, we think we're Western, it's come through a Greek um, beginning of how they looked at life. They had a philosophy and, and they would think, and that's the way we do life. We think a lot and we talk a lot. Not everyone. Some people think more than others. 
the, um, the, the Jews, it was more relational and, and you didn't divide things up near as neatly. You know? and so some of the things, some of the doctrines we have, we like, you, you look at doctrines like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity, the Greeks, their head pops. Because <laughs> it's how do we do this? The Hebrews not so concerned because they just understand how it all works together. It's not that they don't try and draw the, the, the clear lines and understand it. They understand the overlaps and how it works. You know, um, we understand we are a spirit with a soul in a body. Have you heard that? And, and, and what's the definition of a soul? It has mind, will, emotions. I know all these things because in Bible school, that, that's, that's how we're taught. It's very compartmentalized and organized and everyone's understood it very well. But in reality, there's a lot more. How does it work? You know, I've heard it, one Bible teacher explain it like this. He said, when you get stuck with a knife, you don't say, oh, you've stuck me in the body. You know, you say, you stuck me. Because all of me is involved in this. You might have just done it to my body, but my soul, my spirit, everything, we're all in it together. So that's more of a Hebrew mindset. But the Greeks like to analyze and, and divide and say, oh, you know, you've stuck that in my body, you know, but good thing my soul's okay. You know, like, yeah, I understand that is reality, but... So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says that both, both the, the, the Jew and the Greek are highly offended by Jesus. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like he came looking weak and foolish. And who respects that? The Jews nor the Greeks actually didn't respect him. The Jews are like, no, he's going to come, he's going to rule like David, and he's going to do all this, and he's going to be all powerful. But no, he came. And then he died on a cross. And they said that is the, that is the dumbest move for any leader, especially someone who says they are God. No God comes and then dies on a cross. That's just the stupidest, weakest thing. You come to overthrow the Romans and you let them pin you on their, their cross. Not much of a leader, not very strong, not very powerful. Who is th- So he offended them with his lack of apparent wisdom and his weakness. And that's one of the things. It's like the all-powerful God who spoke the universe and said, and the stars... A billion galaxies. He would come and, and, and sit in a front, and then he'd be born in in a feed trough, not be recognised and not come with grandeur and, and straight to the palace and and just live unnoticed for thirty years. Uh, that's not how it happens. And John's like, we, we were there. And what did it say? What did he say right at the start? I said, John, so I don't think I actually read this. I think I just referred to it. So let's read from 1 Corinthians before I move on. Verse 24, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, 
And the weakness of God is stronger than men. In other words, he said, what they thought was foolish and weak actually turned out to be the wisest and the most powerful thing that you could imagine. But they got offended at the weakness and the foolishness and were not able to embrace that when he went to the cross, he actually destroyed the power of the enemy, destroyed sin, turned the whole history upside down and said, no longer is sin now reigning in man. I've changed that. And then he rose from the dead, which is the proof of his power. So um, let's go back to John chapter 1 now that I've read that. Chapter 1, verse 10, it says, He was in the world, the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. (laughs) He's walking there, talking there. He's created everything, and they just, yeah, whatever. Or, like the Pharisees, would get offended with him because he wasn't playing the game and doing it what they expected. Paul said in um, 2 Corinthians chapter f- uh, 4, I think. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. In other words, Paul's like, I used to think of Jesus just as a man. But I learned I was wrong. (laughs) I was wrong. I was not understanding who he was. I just thought he was just like anybody. He was just another person, a follower. In fact, you know, Paul was persecuting them. Anyone who followed Jesus, he didn't recognize him. He said, but that, those days are gone. I don't just see him as a man now. I recognize him who he is and you know what that's done for him you know what that changed that he also began to look at people differently he used it not only changed his revelation of who jesus was it changed his understanding of how we look at people and particularly people that have been born again and entered into the kingdom of god it says follow on from that Therefore, verse 17, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. So now I look at men in light of what Jesus has done for them, and I don't just pay attention to what I see on the outside. You're not just a man anymore. You are a born-again new creature with the power of God. So, But it starts with the revelation of who Jesus is and not being trapped into just seeing him and when you try and share, oh, the, the creator of the universe was here, the one who spoke things into existence was here, and they say, oh, that's impossible. No, you couldn't, you wouldn't package that in such, just a man. You wouldn't do that. <laughs> he's too weak, he's too frail. It's not wise. How could we do that? And yet people like Paul and, and John and others, said, we got the revelation of it. We understood who he was. And then John got to see him outside of that frailty. Um, Look at with me, Revelation chapter 1. He sees Jesus in all his glory. Not the, the limited on earth glory, but all the glory. And I like, I want to hear you 
hear how he describes what it's like when Jesus speaks. Without the, this is like Jesus without the filters. That's what I call it. You know, this is, you know, Jesus on earth was just packaged so he didn't destroy us every time he did anything. But he put all that glory aside so he's totally dependent on the Spirit. So he's just like us. But every now and again there would come a moment when he was, went up to the mountain and he was transfigured and, the, and he's sitting there having a chat with Moses and, and Elijah. Is that right, Moses, Elijah? Chatting on the mountaintop. And he comes down, he's just glowing. He's like, oh, this has been presence of God for a bit. But look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 15. talks about his, this is like he's on fire, he's so bright and glorious. And it says, his voice was like the sound of many waters. When he would speak, he's, John says, it's like listening to a waterfall. Just the power. So we've got to realize every time Jesus is speaking, he's, that's the power, but it's just being brought to us in words. That's awesome words. Awesome words. And um, when Jesus spoke and John recorded them so that we can read them, that is why it's so important for us to be reading the Word. Because that Word contains the life which works in us. And, but we've got to recognize them as the words of Jesus spoken out of the life of God. And then through Paul and Peter and others, as, as the Holy Spirit gave them unction, as the Holy Spirit anointed them to bring the words of God to us. But when we're reading the things that Jesus said, we've got to say, that was... The words of God, and they bring wisdom, and they bring understanding, they bring power. we just got to receive them. And I was thinking, I was trying to think, you know, what are some of the words that really, like, so, you know, I, I, I thought, let's have a list of the awesome words. And I sort of felt, it's like trying to, you know, say which of your children do you like best. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when I say that, you know, I say, I do have my favorite child, and you know who you are, and um, all four of them go... <laughs> It's the way I want it. I want you all to think. Um, but it's a little bit like that. You know, like, oh, what's, what's the, I want to choose some of the words that Jesus said that are the awesome words. And if I said that, I'm for sure you're not going to pick maybe one of your awesome words and, because there are a stack of words. So I'm not going to try and say these are the best words. But I just want to share. Some, I was just thinking, what are some of the things that Jesus said that just elevated what he was doing, the awesomeness of God. I just wanted to, through what he said, through what he said, what are some of the things that he said that are just so awesome? And um, we've got this, why Jesus is so awesome, because of what he said. He's just awesome, the things he said. There's awesomeness in the power. There's awesome in the wisdom. There's awesome in the anointing, the cleverness, the, 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 just the grace that's on those things. Matthew chapter 6, 5, Matthew Oh, sorry, uh, Luke. 
and it's chapter 4. That's right. I'll do it from Luke, not from Matthew. Luke chapter 4. I'm going to do it for Matthew. Because he says it a little bit different. Matthew 4. This is recorded a little differently. We are back to Matthew. Matthew 4. I'm not going... It's only Matthew or... Matthew 4. Jesus being led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And after he had fasted 40 days, 40 nights, this is verse 2, he became hungry and the tempter came to him. He said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Goading him, testing him, trying to work out what's happening. Trying to make him stumble. But verse 4 says, Jesus answered him and said, it is written. In the three temptations that came against Jesus, each time he answered the same way, it is written. And he responded with words, words that came from the word. And he spoke those words to counteract what the devil was trying to do. He saw the power of words. Sometimes I'm struggling with something and I'm coming up, I'm trying to do the Greek way or the, Jew, the Jewish way. You know, let's, I can do this. I've got all power and I'm strong. I can resist the devil. Or the Greek way, which is I can outsmart the devil. I can use my logic and I can use my thinking and I can use my cleverness to tell the devil he's wrong. And I can use biblical logic to do it, you know, because of what Jesus did and da-da-da. I can use logic. And so I'm trying to outsmart him and I'm trying to outstrengthen him. And God's like, why don't you just do what I did and just word him? (laughs) Ah, because I just feel a little bit more empowered, you know, when I do it this way. This is why I I can handle this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try and debate him and, and, and outsmart him in my mind. You know, have you ever had those arguments in your head? I noticed that Jesus didn't go into long debates. He settled it pretty quickly by just speaking the word. And here I am having these long debates. God said, just say the word. Just do it my way. Just put the word up. Let the word work. There's power in words. And Jesus said this. He said, his first answer, taken from quotation from the word of God, Deuteronomy. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He said, devil, I'm not tempted to do that because I am getting my sustenance from what God said. But I'm really... um, Something has always struck me in that. He didn't say... I get my strength out of what God said. He said, but on every word that proceeds, it's like a living word. Every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Not what came out, but comes out. And there's a sense where I'm not living on just something that was said. I'm living on what God is continuing to speak. There's there's Obviously, he speaks... In the word, and I read it, it becomes alive today to me. It becomes what we call a rhema word, a spoken word, a living word. 
a word to me today. But there's also words where Jesus is speaking and declaring to me. You look at Revelation, these words that were like a waterfall. And then John was told, I want you to take this, these messages to the messengers of seven churches. And he spoke something fresh and particular to each of the seven churches. Jesus is no longer on earth, but he's speaking into the churches still. He's still speaking into their situation. He's still speaking. So even though he is in heaven, he's out of heaven speaking. So not, do it, not only do we get the words that were spoken, but we get the words that he is speaking things that he's dropping in our hearts and saying and I'm not saying we add to the Bible and that, but I'm saying he'll take what he's written and he'll take that and he'll contextualize it he'll say something and you get a word from God it'll drop in your heart you know that's a rhema from God and I can speak it and when the devil says you say well, I live by what God says but even more I live by what God is saying this is what God is saying devil and that's what I'm trusting in I'm not looking to that. So I actually wanted to change this. So why Jesus is awesome? Not just because what he says. So not what he said, but what he says. It's not just what he said. He's awesome because what he says. The things that he is saying and having ongoing. So I'm not going to actually unpack those. Some of the things that I had in my heart in terms of the different words. I just want you to go away and say, He's pretty awesome. And the things he says and the things he says to me, I just want to give you honor for the Lord and give you glory. They open up my mind. How do I know I was foolish and weak? How do I know I was thinking like a Greek or a Jew? Because his words came, pruned me, corrected me, fixed me up, changed me, and now I can see see the wisdom. I can see his strength. I can see what he's done because of the words that have cleansed me. How can I do this? Because just like Mary says, it'll be done to you according to the word. Because no word that God speaks to you is without the power for its fulfillment. Nothing he says doesn't come with the ability for it to be done. If God has said something to you, then he's, he's already put his power behind it. Because this is the Jesus who was there at the beginning, speaking declaring, creating the earth. And when he walked on the earth, they just didn't even recognize that that's what we had in our midst. Hallelujah. When Jesus speaks something to you, just meditate on the fact the one who spoke the stars into existence, this world and everything in it, has just spoken to me. His word has come to me. Hallelujah. Why don't we stand? I want to speak one last word over you.
On the last day of the day of the great feast, Jesus stood up and he cried out, saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scriptures say, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And John just gives a little note. He said, what was he talking? He's talking about the time. He spoke of the spirit of the time when those who believed were going to receive for the spirit was coming. They're the times we live in now. Jesus was speaking to our times when the spirit would come. Jesus has spoken words and his words are an invitation. His words are, if you are thirsty, meaning if you are aware of the lack that you have in your spirit, if you sense the dryness and the emptiness, he says, come to me, come to me and drink. And I will bring life to in you. And this is the most, I, I just find this amazing. Not just to fill you, but to fill you to overflowing. I read a thing this week that said, how do you know something is full? How do you know if this water bottle is full? You know, if you, if you buy a new water bottle that hasn't been opened, you say, well, it's full. There you are. When you buy something new, it's not actually full full, is it? It's a little bit at the top. How can you be sure if something is full? You know it's full when it's overflowing. Something that is truly full is over. It's over. Then you know, oh, that's full. If I keep pouring until it's overflowing, you can declare that's full. God wants to fill you. And how do we know you're full? Because it will overflow. It will pour out of your life and minister to others and the same life that God is pouring you will pour out to others. I'm giving you that same invitation for everyone here and everyone watching online. And I'm declaring Jesus is saying that today. If anyone is thirsty, you can come to Jesus and drink. And he will fill you to the place where not only it meets who you are, but you become an overflow of that life to others. That's why you, know, you can go to John 15 and other places where I'd, it just is like, look at this awesomeness that he is inviting us to become a part of this life flow. Not just receive it, become actually vehicles and part of it. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you are thirsty, if you are watching this, if you are here right now, and you say, actually, I am a thirsty soul. If you go to other gods and drink, they will leave you high and dry. They might give you something for the moment, but they will not satisfy and they will not give eternal life. They will not bring. I always say the devil will give you a ring and then chop off your arm. All right? You might get some momentarily excitement and fulfillment and pleasure, but the, he takes way more than he gives. All right? Don't be fooled. Only Jesus gives satisfaction. 
that is eternal and for your good. So if you're thirsty and you're tired of turning to your own wisdom and things and what the world says will give you satisfaction, my invitation is right now, turn to Jesus and respond to his words which are crying out to you today. If you're thirsty, come and drink. So how do you drink? Well, I'm going to suggest you use your words. And you make an invitation to open up your life to him. Your words will open the door for him to allow his words to come into you. So I'm going to pray. I'm just I'm not a prepared script, but just out of my heart, this is how I would respond to this scripture. So I, as I would respond as a thirsty person, I would invite you to echo my words to become your words, to give you a guidance through that. So if you're thirsty and you want what Jesus is offering, pray this with me. And I ask everybody here to pray with me so that you can reaffirm if it's multiple times or if it's your first time, do it and release your faith in it. Jesus, I hear your cry. Jesus, I hear your cry. You said if I was thirsty to come to you. You said if I was thirsty to come to you. To come and to drink. To come and to drink. Not just observe. Not just observe. Not just to listen. Not just to listen. But to take you in. But to take you in. Bring you into my very heart. Bring you into my very heart. So I do that with my words right now. So I do that with my words right now. I receive your life-giving water. I ask you to cleanse me. Make me that new creature that you said you would. And let me be filled with your life so that I can be an overflow to others. From this day on, Jesus, I declare I am yours. I belong to you. And everything you say about me, I declare to be true. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we thank God for that?